You are listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast, hosted by Solomon Earhart and Alan Draper, where they will discuss scaling and growing your pest control company with the goal of helping you become a bug money millionaire. And what I really want to do is make sure that I support my staff and support my managers in having the ability to actually execute it. Because that's the thing, you know, you can tell your managers, hey, I need you to develop all your employees X amount of times per month, per week, whatever it is. But then if you don't give them the actual resources to be able to pull that off, then it doesn't matter, right? So we're working on making sure that we give them the resources to do that and then that they have a really easy to understand, clear process that everyone's on the same page about. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Bug Bucks podcast. I'm your host, Alan Draper. I got my homie here with me. What's up, Saul? What's new in your world? Not much, man. Uh, Ruza, we're just moving into our new headquarters out here in Charlotte. So super stoked about that. Just a lot of a lot of moving parts there, but super exciting stuff. That's awesome, what dude. About- I remember when I, I moved my first office, there's some of my employees that I thought were like hoarders. I'm yeah. like, why do you have this stuff? Right? Yeah. So it's moving like your house is one thing, but moving a business, man. But you got a lot of help, a lot of you're doing a commercial move, right? So you, you have movers and people take care of the furniture and stuff. Yeah. I mean, not so much movers, you know, cause this new space, we're kind of moving out of sharing like a branch service center. So we're going to be mm-hmm. keeping the office and kind of what's in that oh. current space, moving just some of the stuff like monitors, some of the computer stuff, a lot of like swag stuff that we have for like the marketing and pest teams and stuff like that, that will be kind of moving into some stores that we have here, but mostly everything at this new place is going to be all brand new. So very right expensive. <laughs> nice, dude. I've saw, I've, I saw the renderings. I'm jealous, man. Yeah. looks It looks like it's going to be sharp. Yeah. I mean, like we talk about all the time, like pest control is not sexy, right? So we're trying to bring no, the dude. sexy back. Exactly. You know, trying, to, trying to bring it back. You, you do know, what you got to do. Yeah. We want to find that, you know, good talent, bring on some good yeah. people that try to find something different than what the typical pest control industry is usually bringing into the, to the offices, you know, so we're excited, yeah. but- it's a lot of work still. Yeah, man. It makes a difference to have a really nice office. We're doing a complete remodel and rebuild of an office in Orem, Utah, right nice. on State Street and University Parkway, right in the freaking Mecca, dude. Nice. So that should be done in the next four or five weeks. We're getting tile installed today. And so I saw some of the, you know, some of the photos and stuff. It's looking sharp. So Yeah. Dude, commercial commercial real estate right now is insane, right? It's like we just had it. We this year we had to re up our Raleigh branch office, a Charleston branch office, and Raleigh almost doubled in price per square foot for commercial real estate. It's insane. I mean, we're at like nineteen. Like for a flex 20. space or something? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. For like a warehouse flex, space? Yeah, flex space. So it's mostly office, a little bit of warehouse. I think we're like twenty dollars a square foot there. You know, because all the bioscience stuff. You know oh. the COVID testing, the pharmaceutical stuff coming down. It's just driving those prices up like crazy. It's insane. Yeah. That's nuts, man. Well, this episode, if my calendar is correct, this episode is going to drop the week of Pest World. Okay. So I know people are going to be, you know, that are going are going to be busy. And I hope that, so this will drop Thursday, the week of Pest World, which means there's just, that day and then Friday is kind of a short day. But what tips do you have for people real quick before we bring our guest on? What tips do you have for people attending Pest World to get the most out of it? 
Yeah, man. I mean, Pest World is going to be awesome this year. It's the first one in person for two years now. I did the virtual one last year and there were some great sessions, some great people. I learned a lot of stuff and they did a really good job virtually, but I'm super excited to do it in person. And it's in Vegas, which you know is obviously super fun. I think it's going to be bringing out a lot of different people and a lot of crowds as well too, just because it's a great spot, you know, very centrally located. But the biggest thing that I would have to tell people is like, you have to be confident and to like, get out there and go talk to people, right? Like yeah. this, these are big networking events. Like the one thing I've realized and I've learned about pest control operators and owners and employees, right. It's yep. like, and being with NPMA and the ELP program is pest control people at these events, they love to drink and they love to network and talk and share stories, yep. share tips, share advice. You know, so it's like, don't, you know, just go to the sessions and then head back to your hotel room and kind of, you know, sit in the back and in, in the corner in the dark. It's like, just get out there, talk to people, meet with people, meet with vendors, you know, and just ask questions, get to know people. You'd be surprised at how much people will share with you out there as well. Just like these podcasts and stuff like that. Yeah, no, we we're in a cool industry because we don't hate each other, right? We compete on some level. But there's so much that you can benefit from when you're networking with people. And we do this weekly Bug Bucks Clubhouse. We do it for 30 minutes. It's 5 o'clock Pacific time, 8 o'clock Eastern. And one night I was talking about how I've developed relationships with my vendors over the years. And certain of my vendors I have terrific relationships with where they'll bend over backwards for me. And it's not all about how much money I spend with them, right? It's not how much money I, I give them or how, how many products I buy from them or whatever. It's a lot about this relationship building. And so there's two things I want people to focus on real quick before we bring on our guest. Number one, as you were saying, Saul, make those relationships with people that are in the industry, but focus on your vendors also. So both with you know people that own pest control companies, share phone numbers, share social media, contact information, because this is a really helpful group. There's some companies that they don't participate in these things because they think they're above them or they don't want to rub shoulders with other people in the industry. And that's completely fine. But the people that are there, that's exactly why they're there. Some of the classes, some of the seminars are helpful, but the real value, best world's kind of expensive. You know, the real value is establishing and working on those relationships. Heck yeah, I agree. Couldn't so, say it better. Yeah, love it. So you still have today, which is Thursday in Pest World. Make sure that you're sharing your contact information. You're making those and go out and introduce yourself. Don't wait for people to come talk to you. You know, and and Saul and I will be there if you see us. You know, I don't know if you'll recognize us, but we'll be around. I actually have a booth there with one of my companies, my aversion company. I don't know what booth number it is. I'm I'm going to be in and out. I'm not going to be there the entire time. But go by the aversion booth and ask for me. I'd love to meet you. Love to chat. Saul and I, we may even be recording. We haven't set this up. I, I haven't talked to Saul about this, but we might be recording a show there if we have time. Not sure that's going to be feasible. But well, let's get to our guest. Very excited about our guest today. He has a cool story. Very talented. I hope I don't butcher his name, but today we have Eric Bassett. Is it Bassett or Bassett, Eric? It's Bassett, but I get that one all the time. So don't worry. Eric Bassett. All right, guys, he's the owner and vice president at Natura Pest Control, and he started knocking doors like a lot of people for Clark Pest Control in California when he was 18 years old. So welcome to the show, Eric. Glad to have you. 
Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I started listening to the podcast back when I first joined, you know, how to start and grow your pest control company. Yeah. That was awesome. I've listened to the growth pod and just really grateful to be part of the show. Awesome, man. Well, do me a favor. Tell us about kind of your introduction to pest control, you know, how you got started with Clark when you were 18. And then give us kind of a little background, a little intro to, to Natura, all the things you guys are doing and some barometer of size, whether that's employees or trucks or how many years in business, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. When I was a senior in high school, my brother-in-law, who's now my business partner, you know, came out to me and said, Hey man, you know, what are you going to do for work this summer? And I said, dude, I don't know. And he's like, Hey, you should go knock doors and sell pest control. And I had no idea what that was about at all. And uh, he kind of gave me an idea of the money I could make. And I was like, dude, sign me up. Right. And so I, I went from Boise, Idaho to Bakersfield, California, and it was boiling lava hot. I hated every minute of it. And I made really good money. And I remember coming home and thinking to myself, you know what? That was cool. That was great. Pest control is awesome. It's not for me. Never again. I'm never going to do pest control. I'm out. <laughs> and the next summer comes along, you know, and I just, I feel that itch. It's like the mm -hmm. golden handcuffs. Yeah. And now I'm 19 and I'm like, okay, I need to make some money. So I found a local company in Boise and started working with them during the summertime. And that was Gemtech Pest Control. And in the winters, when I wasn't selling pest control, I started managing at a direct TV call center. When I started doing the kind of training and employee development program for them. And so I, I started getting kind of that aspect of the business, growth, employee development, onboarding, training systems, processes. I, I saw kind of this big corporate system in place to train people. And eventually that pest control company that I was working for locally was like, Hey dude, we want to have an inside sales team. We want to do this online marketing. We want to get into SEO and we want to have this inbound sales team. And you're the only guy that we know that like knows both pest control and call center stuff. So I was super excited. I became kind of their inside sales manager. And then I eventually worked my way up to director of sales and marketing. And that was right before they got purchased by Rent-A-Kill. Hmm. And, you know, obviously Rent-A-Kill is a huge organization, lots of offices all over the place. And I joined their team in the Pacific Northwest and started training and developing inside sales teams between Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. And I was traveling back and forth all the time. It was kind of crazy. And at the same time, my brother-in-law and my sister, Jana, who you know, you've had on the show before, Yep. had started their own pest control company in Vancouver, Washington, just north of Portland. And we got to talk in and they're like, hey, if you're traveling anyway, and you're already working in this area, like, why are you working for someone else? You know? Yeah. And we, we originally had this dream, you know, back in 2010 to kind of work together and do a pest control company and didn't work out. And so now that was 2018. And all of a sudden we're like, wow, this opportunity is finally here. So I jumped on board, joined them, and I kind of originally jumped in as their director of sales and marketing. And then about a year after that, we had a business partner who wanted out and I saw an opportunity to get in as an owner. So I sold some real estate and some investments, helped buy him out and my ownership route started. It was kind of, kind of a crazy scenario. I never thought I'd be here. Definitely wouldn't have thought I'd be here 10 years ago, but here I am. Dude, yeah. that's, that's awesome. That's I awesome. feel like that's, 
I feel like that's the story that so many of us have, right? It's like some some random person's like, "Hey, you should try this door to door pest control. You'd be so great at it, right?" It's like, <laughs> like exactly what what is this pest control thing, right? That's awesome, man. Clark's massive company. I think that was one of what Orkin's biggest acquisition a few years back, right? Yeah, it, it it was crazy, man. I remember my first day going to their office, and they just had this huge parking lot just full of trucks, full of trucks. And I, you know, obviously had no scope of how big pest control companies were at the time, but I just remember thinking, dude, this is huge. Yeah. I think it was like something around like a $400 million purchase from Orkin or by Orkin, which is just mm-hmm. insane. Massive. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, man, I guess tell us like what your experience was kind of having that door-to-door experience. And then I guess working for a company like DirecTV on the inside sales, like, do you feel like having that door-to-door experience really helped with the inside sales aspect? Or do you think it was like so completely different that it's almost just two different worlds? The the door-to-door experience, I really wholeheartedly believe that door-to-door can help you in so many aspects of your life, especially with sales and working with people. I remember, you know, my first few months at DirecTV, I was kind of teaching and training and taking phone calls. And I, I had no fear. And I just remember thinking to myself, dude, this is a million times easier than cold knocking doors, you know, in 115 yeah. degrees. So yeah, I, I think it, it absolutely helped me in all the jobs, all the, anything that I've done since then, the door to door has been a big aspect of. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, so no, with uh, Natura now, I mean, you know, how many how many vehicles do you guys kind of have on the road out there? And you're in the the Puget Sound, or right? What, what's the area you're in in Washington? So we're actually in southern Washington, and I I almost tell people I'm just in the Portland area. You know, our our hmm. base is in Vancouver, Washington, which is right across a river from Portland. So when I fly back and forth, it's just right into Portland, then like a 10, 15 minute drive to my office, which is technically in Washington, but yeah, we've been in business, but we will be coming up on 10 years in the fall of 2023. And we've had we've had some big goals. It's been kind of crazy. I'm sure you guys can attest to this. You know, the ups and downs that you go through when you first start in business. You know, you have an idea about where you want to be, by when, how you're going to get there, make mm-hmm. all these goals, and then curveballs. Curveballs all over the place. So it's been both a blessing and a challenge at the same time. You know, with each curveball, you learn how to adapt and how to make changes so that you can kind of stay on the path. But yeah, it's been a challenge for sure. Yeah, so awesome. So you guys have been in business for eight years and you've been on board for how long? So I've been on board since 2018. So I think we're going on what, three years now? Three years, okay. So they had five years under their belt before you you joined Natura. So talk to us Mm -hmm. a little bit about some of the things that you guys are currently working on, some of your current challenges and things that you guys are kind of reaching for and what you have your sights set on right now. Yeah, absolutely. So when I when I first got into the business, one of my main things that I was working on, other than kind of helping with the door team, was kind of streamlining some of our processes for our inside sales and getting us squared away as far as SEO and our website and marketing. And that has kind of progressed to where we are now, where we're a a big player in our market. And I'm really trying to fine tune some of the elements that we have with our marketing campaigns. In the uh, clubhouse conversations that we have, that ends up being a lot of what I end up talking to some of these guys about, which is just kind of dialing things in. 
But that's kind of a, a big point for us right now. We've reached the point where it's not about how much money you throw at it because we, we have a really, really great marketing budget, but it's more about how you use it and finding the right campaign to use it on, but making sure that you're kind of leveraging the right things. So marketing-wise, it's one thing that we're looking at. And then, of course, the other big side of that is employees. Having the right person in the right seat, you know, having a, a really good support system for our staff, having managers in the right places so that you can trust they're making the decisions that you would make if you were there, but then also giving them a little bit of opportunity to bring their own personality into it, you know, maybe make mistakes if they need to make mistakes. We don't like to be micromanagers, but we are really big on employee development. Awesome. Now with your marketing, what are you guys finding in your area anyways, that is kind of the, the best bang for your buck marketing wise, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah. Google local service ads, LSA stuff has, has been pretty good. Uh, you get a really good ROI on that. Other than that, you know, typical Google SEO type stuff. I mean, you have some some paid ads that'll that'll kind of help. But the market that we're in is is kind of unique because it's still pretty seasonal. So you have this phasing, this trend, kind of like a bell curve that you see with your marketing efforts. So you know, I know a lot of guys that you know have a marketing budget that stays pretty flat all year round, and that's cool if you want to do it that way. We continually adjust our marketing budget depending on when we're going to get the best ROI. So mm-hmm. right now, so you got, it's not, so a, you guys not are, a whole lot, but yeah. So you guys are following your bell curve with your marketing spin, right? Kind of are yep. you and are you increasing? Are you increasing your percentage towards marketing your budget as the bell curve goes up, or are you maintaining the same marketing budget spend, but it's obviously going higher? in the bell curve, usually because that's where your revenues are going to be higher. How are you guys kind of budgeting that? So it's a little bit of a, of a mix of historical lead volume that I've seen in previous years and revenue. So I might look at the sales revenue and I might look at the lead volume that came in and then talk to my marketing team and say, hey, you know, this is how much we want to grow this next year. This is how many leads I'm going to need in order to get that growth. This is what we've seen historically speaking. Let's come up with a goal that we can all agree on. And then let's let's focus on that. So yeah, that bell curve just allows me to be a little bit better with my guesstimate on what that's going to be. And every year, there's always a month or two that surprise me, some that are really great, some that are a little bit low. But for the most part, it, it's usually on par, which is great. When things work out the way that you plan on them working out, it's awesome. So are you saying that you prioritize ROI over volume? It depends. You know, I'm, and there's going to be some months where, for example, like in our, our hottest months, hottest meaning like just our, our most demand, right? Like June, July, August, some of those months, I will, I'll sacrifice some ROI uh, so that I can actually get good volume because that's when I have the most potential to gain new customers. But, you know, you're talking about months like December, January, something where it's a little bit colder, the demand's going to be a lot less. I'm probably going to focus more on being efficient with our spend. That way I can have more budget to throw at some of those hotter months. Gotcha. So one thing that we at Proof have run into is this issue of connecting the dots between leads, lead sources, ad spend, like all of these things, right? And we're actually in the process of developing a platform that integrates all these tools for us so that you know, on one, one screen, we can see like 
where that person call, like what ad that specific ad, right? We have over 300 landing pages, I think. What ad they clicked on and then follow that customer. And then we can pull data out the other side and see like, hey, what ended up happening with that $3 click on that Wasp page in Massachusetts, right? How are you guys tracing that ROI? So there's a couple of different ways that we do it. And my marketing partner that we use right now is pretty granular when it comes to their data. They have a dashboard that I usually log into at least a few times a week to check kind of my ROI on the different marketing campaigns that they're running. I also see kind of a, a geo area where it shows me where my leads are coming from, what the most popular areas are, and then kind of my difference between my organic leads that are coming in and then also my paid lead performance. But then on the on the back side of things, I actually have my staff track lead sources and track all of their metrics mm-hmm. separately. You know, I think that the idea of being able to integrate all of that data into one system is fantastic. And it it's only limited by how accurate that data is. Yeah. And right now for us, and as I'm sure you guys are figuring out too, being able to put it all together in an accurate way is complicated. Yeah. You're all, so, you're almost you're you're almost just like hoping for like 80% best case scenario almost, right? It's yeah, like you're, exactly. it's never going to be perfect, but if you can get a good range, a good cost per lead, good cost per customer, that's fairly accurate. That gives you good data to work with on on that too, but it's like, yeah. I mean, there's there's nothing perfect in the pest control industry right now that that tracks everything 100%. Yeah, yeah stay, exactly. Stay tuned on that, guys. Stay tuned. But Uh-oh. but I think you guys are right. Like what I think helps is volume, right? Because the more volume that you have, the fewer outliers, right? So if I have data from three customers, it's like very, very unreliable. But if I have data from 3,000, right, then I can start making these assumptions. And I'm sure, Eric, that you guys have this volume where you're like, hey, you can blend things. You throw everybody into a pot, right? It's like when I'm figuring out gross profit, right? My gross profit margin, I'm not looking at one customer. I'm looking at, you know, those thousands and thousands of customers that we serve that, you know, we service that month. And then I'm doing an average. I don't necessarily care about one specific customer. And I think that's why volume, especially with data, because bad data in is bad data out, right? Doesn't matter. But I think volume in the pest control world, it helps us with so many different things to where we can, hey, let's add them all together and divide by our number of customers and we'll know the answer. Yeah. You know, I think just like you're saying, you know, volume helps with a lot of things. When we like are talking about our metrics with our inbound sales team, you know, closing rate, conversion rate, you know, average contract value, all these things, plus all of your your marketing metrics that come into play. When you have five customers, 10 customers, 15 customers even, I mean, you can have an uptick in a certain pest in any one area. And if you're only going off of that data and you start doing a bunch of different marketing campaigns everywhere else for that one pest without looking at all the numbers from a holistic standpoint, I mean, you're just guessing, you know, darts at a dartboard with a blindfold on. So now, Eric, I know 
Now, Eric, I know you guys are very seasonal out there and, and I've never actually been to the Pacific Northwest. So I, I have actually no idea. I know it's beautiful. Got to get out there and visit you guys sometimes yeah. and see what's up. But are you using any sort of trend reporting on your seasonal pest activities to kind of dictate your targeted campaigns that you're using with your marketing? Yes. Yeah, we are. And we spent, you know, the, the nice thing when I came in, my business partners had a lot of information on calls that they receive, what they've been doing as far as our standard operating procedures for our service at different times per year. So I had a lot of uh, data for that. And then over the years, as I've gotten calls in, you know, we always ask a customer, hey, obviously, you know, what's your main pest issue? What's your secondary pest issue? But yeah, we definitely focus our marketing on what pests are hot when. And that's one thing that I wanted to kind of give a tip out to some of these guys that might be using a, a third-party platform or a third-party person for your marketing is make sure that they understand the nuances of your market, the nuances of what pests are going to be most likely for customers to come in contact, because that's not only going to make you credible, but it's going to be able to allow you to forecast solutions before they ever become an issue. So it's good for existing customers and good for new customers. Hey, do, do you know what? You hit on something that like has been driving me crazy for like six years. Okay. <laughs> and that is, look at, and I've used different agencies and I don't, don't ask me who I use because I don't recommend them at this point. And this goes for our listeners too. I get that question five, 10 times a week. Hey, Alan, who are you using? And the company actually uses my name a lot, which they shouldn't because I give people my story, which is fine. Agencies are, it's a tough, it's a tough game for them, but it's a lot like the Fox guarding the hen house guys. It's like, Hey, who is telling me where my data is coming from? And some agencies guard that data with their life. So they're like, Hey, look at, we created this dashboard for you. Don't worry about Google analytics. Check out this cool dashboard. It's really easy to use. You got 6,000 leads this month. You know, how many accounts did you close? Well, I closed like, I don't know, like 300 customers. And so what do you do, man? How do you get that data? Like the real numbers? Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up, you know, and it's one of the reasons why we, on the back end of things, I have my staff track their lead volume, track lead sources and track just a lot of the things that I worry about getting accurate data from a third party partner. And are they you doing know? that like on the, on the software platform that they use? They're just doing it right then. They talk to the customer. Hey, hey, Susan, how'd you hear about us? That type of thing so that you can see if your data matches up. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So when I have a, a meeting with my marketing partner and I sit down and I look at my dashboard through them and I look at the dashboard that I've got from what platform we use and I listen to what they say and I, I'm glad that they have the metrics that they do. And then I say, okay, great. That sounds awesome. Here's what we're actually seeing real time from our office. You know, here's what mm -hmm. we saw in the last 30 days. These are how these numbers match up. And if this is what I'm getting in correspondence from what you're telling me, then this is how we have to adjust. I don't want to, I don't like arguing with those guys and telling them that they're wrong because they have their own <laughs> metrics that they follow. That's fine. Yeah. But I do want to tell them, Hey, if this is the discrepancy between our numbers, these are the adjustments I have to make in order for us to hit our goals. Yeah. So you're saying like, Hey, I'm going to make my decisions based off of my numbers and you know what your numbers are. That's fine. And I've noticed that with agencies where, and what, what I try to do, and I don't know, you'll have to let me know if this is what you guys do. You too, Saul is I try to position people to be 
they're working together, but they're measured on different stuff. Their metrics are different, right? So my inside sales manager, closing rate is a really big deal, right? I want to know that we're, we're getting a decent close rate. But what that means is he's trying to get the most sales per number of leads. So if I have somebody that's going to come low on leads, it's my sales manager, right? He's going to come in. He's going to be like, no, I didn't get 6,000 leads. What are you talking about? I got 500. You know, my close rate's 60% right? Or whatever. And so I try to position people so that they're watching the same thing, but from a different perspective. So they bring their biases in and hopefully it balances things out because of the different agendas, right? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you have to measure different stuff from different departments too. And in, and this kind of goes a different direction, but it's like, and your inside sales team too. It's like, do you always want to just track conversions, right? Because whatever you're measuring is what gets attention paid to it. Right. Exactly. And so it's like, if you're yeah. only focusing on conversions in your call center, then they're going to try to do whatever they can to do to sell those people. But what that yep. does is it tends to bring some of those pricing points down a little bit, right? Your CBA. Yep. And it's like, for me, I almost would rather track follow-up percentage, right? It's like, how much are you following up with these customers and keeping the price high, right? With mm-hmm. a, with the CVA. So it's like, okay, we may, because you know, if someone's calling us from Google or from an ad or from a lead, right? They're typically shopping companies. And I train my inside sales team to, do, to say, hey, it's okay to go shop other companies, right? And what I have them do is I have them give the people a list of questions. I say, okay, well, while you're calling these other companies, here's seven questions I want you to ask every company you call and make sure you compare these answers so you find the best company to choose. And if that's us, great. If it's not, cool. Here's your questions to ask. It's the questions that most people don't know, first of all, or if they do, it's the ones that always catch people up, right? It's like, okay, well, what's your your warranties, right? What's the contract? What's the buyout of the contract? How much area do you go out into the yard, right? What if I have fire ants at the edge of my property line? Will you come back for free, right? It's like those random things, like how high will you deweb on my house? Will you go in my attic or my crawl space? And then I train my inside salespeople to just follow up, send an email, send a text, and then be personal, share insights if they're new to the area, you know, send them a couple of restaurants to go check out, stuff like that, right? And you'd be surprised at how many people call back. Well, and the other thing I always leave them with is I tell them, okay, before that person hangs up, let them know that you're going to go shop these other companies. You may find better pricing or something that sounds greater or better than what we sound like. All I ask is that you call me and just let me know whatever you hear from these other companies. And maybe there's a chance that I can beat it or provide something at a better discount or service instead of that. And you'd be surprised at how often they call back and they're like, Hey, look, I called these other companies. You guys had the best follow-up. You weren't the cheapest. You were one of the most expensive mm-hmm. ones, but you cover the most stuff and you just explain things so much more in detail than anybody else. And we're going to go with you. Right. So it's like, well, what's that follow-up percentage? Right. Or what's that the second, you know, the the customer, their first call in, then they go hang up. And then how many of those customers are calling back again to then sign up of that second? So time? I I think this is a great point of, and you're hundred percent right. The saying that what gets What's the saying? What gets measured gets attention or whatever, right? Some something like that. Something like that, and it's it's a hundred percent true, right? Where you know people look where the money is or where the incentives are, whatever's getting measured, and so you want to align interests. But I like this concept of being able to pivot, right? And it, this this applies for technicians, this applies for office staff, this applies for managers. You have to you have to be able to juxtapose different metrics, right? So, for example, think of a technician. Like if you're paying them hourly, 
then you know they're going to spend longer at a job, but there's some other issues, right? Maybe they don't want to sell or whatever. And so you have to give these little carrots, like measure different things to kind of balance. If you pay somebody production, they're going to get a lot of jobs done in one day, but maybe they're moving too fast and they're not being as thorough. Eric, is there something that, that you guys are doing at Natura to kind of incentivize your employees? Are you focusing on money? Are there other things that you guys are doing to try to kind of encourage this high performance that is aligned with the interests of the ownership of Natura? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you guys brought up that quote that's saying, you know, what's measured gets improved. And one of the big things that we did this last little while is we went out, we bought a TV, mounted it right in our customer, kind of our customer care room where our inside sales team, customer service team is. And I put up all of our metrics and I made them into little independent widgets and they can see their average contract value, their closing rate, mm-hmm. conversion rate, auto bill pay percentage, a retention rate, all the key things, what we call lag measures that are important. One, so that they can understand, you know, when I hang up the phone and I put my numbers into my sheet, I can instantly look up at this dashboard, right? And see how what I just did affects mm-hmm. our performance. Yep. But the key thing on the flip side of that is that I always tell our managers, hey, you know, be aware of what these lag measures are, but coach with lead measures. It's one of those things. If you have a guy that's having a difficult time closing, it's easy to pull him aside and say, Hey man, listen, I need you to close better. I just need you to close better. I need you to close more customers. But what's really going on is maybe that guy has a problem with how he's positioning the close. Maybe he has a problem with when a customer says, no, he just shuts down. You know, maybe he's not asking enough questions. Maybe he's presenting it in a way that's weird. And so you have to focus on the key behaviors, the lead measures that drive the performance. And you use the lag measures as, as a measurement stick to see where you're at, but you can't coach with Yeah, I think sometimes that. we, as managers, we default to kind of the easiest metric, right? As opposed to training and measuring and developing people. I did an episode on the Business Growth Pod, just recorded a few days ago. It'll drop in a couple of weeks, but we talked about kind of how people are moving to more remote work right now. And we talk about how we traditionally measure how somebody's doing based just sheerly on the number of hours that they work in a day. And we have to kind of change that and use more productive measurements for what they're actually accomplishing. And sometimes that, like like Saul said, with close rate, like, hey, sometimes it's not the close rate, right? Sometimes there's other things that you need to be, but sometimes as managers, it's like, oh, close rate's easy to measure. It's this number of sales divided by this number of leads, right? Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, and Eric to kind of hit on that lead and leg measure too. It kind of reminded me of back when I was still kind of leading door-to-door guys, right? And you'd get this rookie in who's never knocked a door in his life. He's just learning the pitch. He's probably does he still doesn't even know how to close or overcome objections, right? And you and you need to get this guy out on the doors, right? Because the only way that you're gonna get comfortable being on the doors is to like go get your nose bloody a little bit, right? And so, and it can be very overwhelming sometimes to think of, okay, I need you to go out there and I need you to sell and I need you to close these accounts, especially if you've never done it before. You're like, how am I going to do this? Right. And so I would always do some things to kind of get them started where I would be like, okay, I want you to go out there and I want you to get me 50 names. That's all I want you to focus on these first three days. Just give me 50 names. If they ask about price, go over price. If they give you any objection, just hand them a flyer. Right. 
And, and it's like, it kind of defeats the purpose of like going out and doing door-to-door sales, but it gives them something to focus on and something that they can attain. Right. Yes. And then they're focused on just getting the greets, getting to know people, knowing the names, you know, and going through their initial pitch that they've learned because it's one paragraph, right? If you can't learn the initial pitch within the first day, then, then you're kind of probably screwed at that point. Right. But it takes away the pressure of having to overcome objections and close somebody. Right. And so there, there's, there's those little things that you can change up sometimes. And I think a lot of that really works well with technicians too, especially if, if you're starting to try to get your technicians to try to sell stuff as well. It's like, okay, well, I don't even care if you sell, but let how many customers that you service a day, can you turn into the inside sales or an outside sales team for a lead? Right. Let's start there. Right. Then let's figure out how you can start pitching those leads instead. Right. And make more money. But yeah, there's so many ways that you can approach this thing. Right. And I know you guys have done a lot of great things. I know you and I recently had kind of chatted about your guys' four day work week. Right. So how are you seeing that affect your team and the morale and the culture and the buy in that you have from your from your employees? You know, I think it's it's really important for any business owner to kind of take a look at anything that is, even if it's experimental, right? It's kind of something different that you're not really sure of. And if it makes you a little uncomfortable, good, look into it, right? Dig into it, see why it makes you uncomfortable, see what's going on. And we looked at the four-day work week and you know, traditionally you think, ah, am I going to have the coverage? Am I going to have the engagement? Only having influence over these guys for four days a week, is that going to throw things off? you know? And we dove into it, we dissected it, and we talked to our guys about it. We asked mm-hmm. them, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Why do you think this would be good for you? Do you have any questions? Do you have any concerns? And then we rolled it out slowly, got it out and, and kind of tested it a little bit here and there. And it's been great for us. The guys love it. They get a three-day weekend every week. And you kind of, we talked a little bit about how there's different ways that you can customize that based on someone's accommodation that they might need. Lots of different ways to do it, but it gives people an opportunity to feel like they still have opportunities to spend family time. They have a life. They can go out and do things on their three days off or whatever their days off are that they want. And I think Alan's brought this up on you know either his podcast or a Clubhouse episode where we talk about what employees find the most benefit from at work. And it's obviously, it's not always pay, <laughs> right? Nope. You know, sometimes it's these unique benefits that you wouldn't see coming. So and obviously, those those benefits lead to employee retention, which is great for everybody. And a big thing, obviously, if you talk to anybody, well, not even just pest control, but anybody in the business field right now, it's like staffing is a huge issue, yeah. right? And and it's going to get with, worse. It's going to yeah, it's, it's going to get way worse. worse. Yep. And with you guys doing this, like having this four day work week, have you seen? I mean, I'd imagine you guys may be still experiencing some of the staffing issues, but you know, have you seen growth in that? Are you guys having some of those same issues? Are you finding that it's easier to hire people because it's a four day work week and they know they're going to get that time off or because I think that's a big question that a lot of people would love to kind of understand, right? Because we're all having the issues. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we still see some issues with obviously when we're competing against things like government assisted income and some other stuff that's kind of difficult as an employer. That's always going to play a role. But I have seen some advantages when it comes to interviewing and finding good, eligible applicants. You know, when you say something like, hey, yeah, like we do a four day work week, you work four days on, you get three days off. Or if they're like, oh, actually, could I have like this day off instead? And you're like, yeah, I'll have you work for two days on, one day off, two days on, two days off. 
or whatever the opportunity is for them. And they're like, wow, all of a sudden this is flexible. So that's been an advantage for us. Uh, I think one thing that it does is, well, a couple of things. And we've, we've tested the four day work week in different markets and some of them we do it, some of it we don't, some of them we don't, but you know, long gone are the days where it's like, Hey, you know, you work for me, you owe me some type of duty. Good luck, man. You're going to be getting C players all day long. So when you do things, two things, one, you immediately separate yourself from 90% of the other companies. Hey, we offer four day work week. There are some companies that do it, but 90% of them don't because it's more complicated. So there is that immediate separation. And then two, what it says is, Hey, this company, they're like trying to do stuff to make the employees' lives better. Like seriously, they didn't do that to increase their bottom line. They're just trying to be flexible. And the more that you can do that, especially in the current market and and the market that's coming with inflation, the more likely you are to find those top tier players. And technicians have always been a nightmare to hire. And guys, it's going to get worse over the next at least year, year and a half, two years. It's going to be even more difficult than it is right now. And we're all experiencing it. All of us that are like, I don't even know how many technicians I need. We're always hiring dead of winter. I'll hire somebody so that they will train them for four months until we write or whatever. I'll find a spot for them because it's so difficult. But what you're talking about, Eric, is you're showing these people, hey, stuff's going to come down the road and we're going to continue to improve the lives of our employees. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. I just, you know, just like you guys are saying, it, it's not great right now. It's bound to get worse. And so as an employer, you know, and as an owner, you have to be really creative and look forward into the future and think, okay, you know, what kind of thing can I do to make my employees feel valued? You know, what do they see value yes. in? Like, what are they going to see value in, in the future? You know, that four day work week, what's been nice is we have a lot of schedule shifts, like guys will exchange their schedules based on what days off they need. And so we have, we don't have guys calling out. We don't have guys requesting Mm -hmm. time off because if they want time off, they'll just switch their schedule with another guy, which is awesome. So we have more full routes. We have happier technicians. And even if you have to call a guy in on his day off, even if he works that whole day, he still has another two days off. So all around, there's a lot of benefits that we saw from that, but I, you hit the nail on the head. The biggest thing that I want those guys to see is that we are continually looking to make their jobs and their lives better. And having an employer like that, you know, I think that that has a lot of value in the market. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, that's what everybody's looking for right now, right? I think COVID and the pandemic and the government assistance, it really didn't like I mean, it has an effect on the market, right? But what it did is it gave people a chance to like reset, right? To like step back and be like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, do I really care about this stuff? Or do I really need to work for these people that don't care about me, right? And so now as they're coming back to the job place, they're like, well, I know that I have a little bit of power now because you guys are all struggling to find people and, and you're giving all these bonuses and right. It's like, you know, $15 minimum wage was a big thing. Well, now McDonald's is giving $15 as their minimum pay, right? And all these other companies are following suit because they can't find anybody, right? So it's like the government didn't have to force the increase, the the market forced the increase, right? And so these people are realizing it's like, okay, we have some control and I'm fine with that. I'm all about it too. It's a big thing we've always done. I've always told people is like, look, as we grow, as our revenue grows, as our profitability increases, we're going to always trickle that down and pass that down to you guys before anything else, right? 
And if you continue to do that, and if you stand on that word and you show them that Mm -hmm. it could be even just the littlest things, right? Like offering a 401k or health benefits, a big thing we're working on right now. And I think Alan, you and I have maybe talked about this too, is like paternity and maternity paid leave, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. dude, companies aren't doing that, but you know, it's like, if you have a baby, it's like, you can't take a month off work and and not be paid and try to like handle that transition. I've never had a baby. You guys all have, have kids and stuff, but it's like, I'd imagine that there's a lot of adjustments and changes in life when that happens. And it's like to be able to support them and say, Hey, look, we're going to pay for everything for a month figure your stuff out, get settled and come back as you can, you know, and, and we're here for you and we care. Yeah. And if you look at it in terms of, so not only does this help you recruit top talent, it helps you keep top talent. It helps you retain like crazy. Right. And I, I was kind of, when I first started proof was kind of a stickler, like, Oh man, they don't No, We're not giving them labor day. No, that's not a paid haul. No, no, no. But then I realized I did the numbers and I'm like, a few thousand bucks to keep a top level. You know how much it's going to cost me to replace him? Like 10 times that, right? And I think it changes the perspective a little bit when you go through the numbers a bit. But we're wrapping up here, Eric. So give us kind of some closing thoughts about what Natura is doing right now, where where you guys are headed, what, what some things you're personally working on as a business owner that you're trying to improve upon and to help both, you know, on a, on a personal level and on a business level and just kind of some closing thoughts. You know, I, I think the biggest thing that we're focusing on right now is employee development. You know, I, uh, I'm working on a real specific model that we can use. And right now we, we have a model that's really clear. It's got a high level of accountability. It's easy to follow. And what I really want to do is make sure that I support my staff and support my managers in having the ability to actually execute it. Because that's the thing, you know, you can tell your managers, hey, I need you to develop all your employees X amount of times per month, per week, whatever it is. But then if you don't give them the actual resources to be able to pull that off, then it doesn't matter, right? So we're working on making sure that we give them the resources to do that and then that they have a really easy to understand, clear process that everyone's on the same page about. So that's the one thing that I would probably leave the audience with, you know, if I could throw something out there is have something that you can use to develop your employees and your managers, make sure it's clear, make sure it's easy to follow, make sure it's effective and make sure you support them with the resources they need to actually do it. I love it, man. Yeah, you have to, I love this concept of giving them the resources they need to be successful. Another thing is, it's it's a lot like you know a little kid that comes and tells you they did something wrong like you know you you want to in, encourage them to do that and so when when somebody goes out on their own when somebody they make a decision you give them the authority to do that and you don't totally destroy them if they made the wrong decision because they're going to lose that accountability so along with giving them the resources give them give them a long leash too right give them you know this mm-hmm this opportunity to make mistakes and for everything to be okay. And that's when your employees will take risks and really start to use their autonomy and their personality to develop your company. So, yeah. And I think development, a lot of it really comes back to that care factor too, right? Because in our, in pest control, right? A lot of businesses and you're, you can be surprised sometimes, right? They just don't have development programs. They don't have leadership manager development programs. They don't, focus on personal development over professional development or technical skills, right? It's like always about technical development, right? It's like, okay, there's a lot more that affects this business than knowing about an ant and how to 
treat an ant, right? It's like there, there's a lot more, right? Yeah. And so there, and there's no ROI that you can really measure on development, right? And so yeah. the real, the only ROI that you can really get out of it is the fact that, okay, I care enough to invest the resources yep. to develop you because I know that if you can grow as a person personally, then professionally, I'm going to get a lot more benefit exactly. out of it. Exactly. Simple. Absolutely. Exactly. Cool. Well, Eric, uh, man, it was great. Do we really appreciate it? I mean, this conversation was was awesome. I mean, I think I could go for probably another hour if I wanted to, but <laughs> yeah. I know Alan just got done with a trip, yeah. so he's probably ready to go crash out, go take a nap. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's been a it's been a pleasure, Eric. Where can people reach out to you if they have questions or want to learn more about everything that you guys are are doing up there in the Great Northwest? You know, you're always welcome to reach out to me on Facebook. Um, I, I try to be active on there. <laughs> not too active, mm -hmm. but you know, you can get to me at Instagram at I am Eric Bassett. And then Natura is on Instagram too, just at Natura Pest Control. Yeah. As and well. everybody, you got to go to Natura's uh, Facebook page. You have to check out their videos. <laughs> their videos are they do an awesome best. job. Dude, the mosquito video, <laughs> I literally just watched it with some of my team the other day again is freaking hilarious. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he's, he's so fun he, to make. He's man. at it again. <laughs> yeah. Great, great <laughs> yeah. content. They had a really cool Christmas video that mm -hmm. I know got quite a few views. So, well, yeah. that's awesome, man. Well, congratulations on everything, Eric. Keep up the good work, man. And we, you know, we appreciate you coming on for just a few minutes and sharing your knowledge with us. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity, guys. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please show your support by subscribing and leaving us an honest five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, and we'll catch you on the next episode.